0: This is Know It All, the ABCs of Education, a platform of Allison Brown Consulting, ABC, where we empower our listeners with insightful information about equity in education.
1: Welcome to Know It All, the ABCs of Education. Listen to the show every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern or at any time from your computer at blogtalkradio.com slash knowitall, where you can also access the chat room during the show and follow Know It All for regular updates. I'm your host, Allison R. Brown, president of Allison Brown Consulting, ABC, where we create education equity plans and promote equity in education in compliance with federal civil rights law. Our website is alisonbrownconsulting.com. There, you can read our blog and subscribe to the ABC Know-It-All newsletter. If you're tweeting, follow me at Alison R. Brown and tweet about the show with the hashtag Know-It-All ABC. It abc its true that federal law requires equity in education, that every child, no matter their background, their race or color, or national origin, is to, is to be provided with equal educational opportunity in the nation's schools. Last week, the U.S. Department of Justice and Department of Education made that truth abundantly clear when they released a school discipline guidance to help schools and school districts to eliminate and prevent racial discrimination in the way that they discipline students. A very warm welcome to my guests today, Shaheena Simons, who is Deputy Chief of the Educational Opportunity Section of the Civil Rights Division in the U.S. Department of Justice, and Jonathan Stith. Executive Director of the Alliance for Educational Justice, a youth advocacy organization here in Washington, D.C. Welcome to you both. Thank you so much for being on Know It All.
2: Thank you, Allison.
1: So, Shahina, first I wonder, you know, first of all, congratulations and you know, to you and to all of your colleagues there at DOJ and the Department of Education, and thank you all for this historic discipline guidance. Will you just start by telling us what the guidance is?
2: Absolutely. Um, We were so excited to be able to release this guidance we at DOJ together with our colleagues at the Department of Education um, to school districts around the country. Um, It is actually a, uh, a package containing a number of resources on Um, school discipline and uh, in particular the non-discriminatory administration of school discipline um, and also how to create and maintain positive school climates. Um, And so the the centerpiece of this package was was really the the guidance that you mentioned about the non-discrimination requirements under federal civil rights law um, that schools have to administer discipline without discriminating on the basis of race, color, or national origin Um, and that was joint policy that that we uh, have been working on for some time and that we know that um, many in the field have been expecting for some time and it's something that is urgently needed now. Um, And that guidance was part of a broader package that contains other resources that we hope will empower students and uh, community members, um, you know, and and schools to be able to um, create positive climates where kids can, number one, stay in the classroom, um, and you know, be be able to participate and and learn and succeed um, on an equal basis. Um, and I'm I'm happy to talk about any pieces of that package that that you'd like me to. Again, we're we're hopeful that it's going to really. Um, really fill this huge need that that is out there for this guidance.
1: Jonathan, you are one of those in the field that Shahina mentioned and I know that you've worked on student success and student empowerment for many, many years. What are your thoughts on this discipline guidance?
0: Um, We're excited about it. I think that um, uh, it's been a it's been a long, uh, real process for a lot of us. I, I think the, the the efforts to to wrestle with discriminatory discipline in the school to prison pipeline has been um, probably going on for for. About twenty years now, and so to see um, kind of after decades of struggle, one to be it to be recognized because there was a, a moment when you would talk about school to prison pipeline, and people would look at you as if you're crazy, and then um, there was always in the, the the condemning of the young people, and uh, they're criminalizing to justify that. And so now to see that uh, swing to being clear and uh, hearing from the uh, Secretary of Education to say that adult behavior is what needs to change, I think was uh, very exciting um, for us. I think for our end, the guidance is good. I think we would have liked some policy. And I think for most of our students, like a, a federal right to education would have been golden. But we'll take what we we'll we got. It's a great first step.
1: And Shaheena, this this really is a guidance for educators and their lawyers to understand what their obligations are under federal law. What do you expect that this will do for for educators?
2: Um, well, again, what we are trying to do is put tools at the fingertips of educators to be able to um, create to be able to, to help them keep kids in the classroom, to help them help teachers keep kids in the classroom. Um, and you know the, the, the legal guidance, what it really does is try to explain um, in, in the clearest way possible those existing legal obligations that are out there, um, but also provide some recommendations and some alternatives to harsh disciplinary practices like you know, suspensions for minor infractions um, like referrals to the criminal justice system, like Jonathan mentioned, which we see as, as a growing problem that we've tried to address, not just with this guidance but also with our enforcement work um, and, and our cases around the country. Um, so, the, you know, the, the guidance itself it explains the non-discrimination requirements, but it also provides kind of hypothetical examples of, you know, types of um, discipline practices that might raise concerns for us um, it contains a, a list of recommendations um, that helps district evaluate their policies and practices to make sure that they're fair that they're applying them equally to all students um, and uh, you know and, and it also talks about how the Department of Justice and the Department of Education, would address and, and how we do address complaints that come in about discriminatory discipline um, and the kinds of remedies that we might um, we might require a, a school district to take in the event that we find that there was discrimination or a violation of, of one of the federal civil rights laws that we enforce.
1: So can we talk about some more of those particulars, some of the recommendations and alternatives and know that the, the guidance? includes language that makes clear to schools that they are potentially on the hook legally if one of their school resource officers or a law enforcement officer in their building that has contracted contracted with the school um, acts in a discriminatory way. And it also lets schools know that they don't have to necessarily act intentionally in a discriminatory fashion, but if, if the... Um, results of any of their discipline practices or procedures or policies uh, are actually or have a discriminatory impact on the children in any way that they could potentially be on the hook. Will you talk more about some of the, the particulars that are in the guidance?
2: Sure. I'm, I'm happy to do that. On the first point that you mentioned about um, others in school districts who might be taking um, discriminatory action, you know, people like um, contracted security companies or SROs, um, the guidance does make clear that school districts um, can be held accountable under um, the, the civil rights laws for discriminatory, discriminatory actions taken um, by those uh, people over whom they're exercising some control. So that that is really important because we know that Um, You know, there there are a lot of these actors on school campuses, and often um, communication may not be the best. Um, It may not be what what we want to see, and school districts need to be aware of those obligations. And they also need to be aware that just like they need to cooperate with federal civil rights investigators, um, so do um, entities that they have who are working on their behalf and so you know, failures of those entities to cooperate would be something that um, a school would be held accountable for so that so that is an important point of the guidance um, but the other um, you know the other issue that you mentioned was you know both the, the kinds of discrimination um, that are, are covered by the guidance and again these are all existing standards it's not new standards, but what we're trying to do is, is clarify what the law is, um, and so what the guidance talks about is both intentional discrimination, um, which basically means students being treated differently on the basis of race without any legitimate or non-discriminatory reason, um, and so that, that is something that we have found in, in our cases, um, and you know, it's something that, that does violate the, the law and the dear colleagues that are... Um, the, the guidance letter talks about that. Um, but as you mentioned, it also talks about disparate impact analysis, um, which, again, is um, it's an existing standard um, under Title VI of the Civil Rights Act. Um, and it's basically where, you know, a school may have a policy that they're enforcing. If that policy has a disparate racial impact, And it's also unjustified. It lacks, you know, an important educational justification or maybe there are other disciplinary policies that would be just as effective that would meet the school's goals without having that disparate impact is an area where we would have concerns and the guidance talks about that and how we would conduct that investigation, and if we did find a violation, how we would remedy that. Um, So, again, it's an unjustified, disparate impact by race. That is what we um, would would be looking for, analyzing for.
1: Mm -hmm. Jonathan, what have you heard from students and youth advocates about the guidance?
0: Um, A lot of excitement. uh, a lot of questions around uh, kind of what's next, and being clear that um, while the guidance does uh, offer very you know very clear examples of uh, what discriminatory discipline looks like, its impact um, particularly on on educational outcomes, as well as offering a set of remedies, to, you know a lot of groups uh, young, young people across the country are wondering kind of how it will be picked up, how it will be be received in their in their local school districts. Um, we've seen, And we've seen some mixed um, reactions from a lot of different school districts. Um, and and, and on a lot of good ways, a lot of good sides, you see districts kind of taking it upon their own to really examine their own uh, school discipline um, and really go about rectifying that. So I think that, that that's really exciting. I, just, I think one of the things that we really hope uh, from school districts is that they really – take to heart really engaging students and parents in helping to shape school discipline. I think that is part of the winning formula around creating positive school climate.
1: Shaheena, you know, I often say that I started my own consulting practice after leaving DOJ in order to bring together stakeholders and assist schools more collaboratively than I think litigation can usually allow. This guidance, was somewhat out of character for you guys at DOJ, the trial lawyers. Why was that necessary?
2: Um, I think a lot of it goes back to what Jonathan was just saying about, you know, the need for t- to deal with this problem, the need for kind of all the pieces of the puzzle to fall into place, all of the players to be engaged, um, you know, schools, parents, students, teachers, community stakeholders, the juvenile justice system, you know, law enforcement. Um, This is, you know, the the, the work of the Justice Department um, has been very collaborative, not just with the Department of Education um, on this, but also all of the different pieces of the Department of Justice um, and other federal agencies that are concerned with the school-to-prison pipeline. Um, And, you know, the problem is, it's it's an extensive one, and it's one that has reach into a lot of different areas, and, you know, there needs to be a lot of engagement in, in order to be able to, to solve it. And so um, this was, you know, it was, it was a collaborative piece between education and justice, and it's going to continue to be so moving forward. Um, we are working together with the folks at the Department of Education on how to provide help and technical assistance on You know, meeting these obligations, we've got a series of webinars um, on the guidance package that is going to be coming out. Um, It'll talk about both the discipline guidance and also other pieces of the guidance package, some of the different tools that are in there um, and recommendations. Um, And and parent and um, student engagement, community engagement is a huge part of that um and so you know we it, it i i guess you could say that it is a little bit um out of our usual wheelhouse but um we are going to be continuing with you know really serious civil rights enforcement on this front as well so
1: mm-hmm. Jonathan you mentioned the school to prison pipeline what will you just define what that is for the audience
0: um Wow, I mean, we can. <laughs> for for us, uh, the school-to-prison pipeline is a set of uh, policies and institutional practices that uh, discriminate against young people of color and effectively um, push them out of uh, school um, into into um, and, and criminalizes them and pushes them towards um, jail, and that can look like uh, like suspension laws, truancy, all. Uh, and all these kind of processes, again, kind of that take young people from being students to making them into criminals and then pushing them out of the education system uh, with very little chance for uh, meaningful employment um, that kind of would lead to a propensity towards criminal behavior. So that's my best shot and, at it.
1: <laughs> and, you know, some of the behaviors that that are punished uh, with whether it's arrest or suspensions and expulsions and other exclusionary discipline practices that can often lead uh, students on a path to the juvenile justice system, um, the the behaviors that we're talking about are typically developmentally appropriate behaviors. So you know, oftentimes we're talking, you know, students who are talking back to a teacher or students who um, are in violation of the school uniform code. So things that wouldn't necessarily be criminal activities for adults going about their daily lives, uh, but that somehow become criminal actions within a school environment. Um, Shaheena, what were some of the things that you were seeing in the field and in your practice that really made made it clear that there was a need for this discipline guidance?
2: Yeah, I mean, what what we have seen is students being, you know, like you said, excluded from the classroom. Um, maybe even refer to the juvenile justice system for really, really minor misbehaviors, so things like violation of dress codes or, you know, talking back to um, teachers, you know, minor, um, minor misbehaviors. And, and what all of, you know, what, what our experience and what all of the research bears out is that these harsh punishments for these minor misbehaviors they don't make schools any safer. They don't deter other kids from misbehaving. Um, they don't help kids develop the skills that they need to be able to avoid, um, you know, problems in the future and to be able to succeed. So, you know, what we really were, were trying to, to do with this package is to um, encourage schools to be preventive and proactive, um, in their approach to, to disciplining kids to keep that minor mis- misbehavior from becoming bigger problems um, and for creating those climates where all kids can, you know, feel feel comfortable um, and, a- and able to participate. So, um, you know, again, those th- these suspensions, expulsions, school arrests, um, they don't have the benefits that, uh, you know, that, that many believe that they do, and at the same time they have tremendous costs for kids um, who do end up with, you know, more contacts with the juvenile justice system, who do end up with, you know, lower graduation rates as a result of these these disciplinary practices. Um, so this is something that we all have a stake in, and, you know, it's one of the reasons that the administration and, and so many federal agencies have really um, prioritized this issue
1: so a, a question for both of you, um, I can imagine some of the response to this being what we hear a lot of times that you know when when children misbehave, they need to be punished period, and misbehavior may very well take the form of talking back to a teacher, and if that is the case that's disruptive to the environment and that child needs to be dealt with um, and you know you you're, you're being and encouraging a softness that isn't going to benefit the children and is not going to benefit society. Um, what do you say to that? To that response to this discipline guidance and the overall advocacy movement that has developed around the school to prison pipeline, Jonathan?
0: Ooh, um, I think my first response would be just like a blank stare. <laughs> like that, that's that's. That's what we, how we really feel about uh, our children. Um, and I think that some of the, you know, the scary part of a lot of the school di- discipline stuff is that not only is it, um, you know, racial, race, racist in some cases, it's also very adultist in this idea that, um, that we as adults can act on young people in a myriad of ways just because. Um, and I think that when we really think about, when folk really think about discipline or how they were raised, they, a lot of times it was really not because of, but in spite of some very, some very real hard discipline that, that, you know, misshaped them. And I, we always raise the question around this kind of stuff, kind of, you know, it takes a village to raise a child, but what if the, the village has been sick? And so you have, you know, really generations of parents who on some levels went through this very harsh discipline. Um, and it's just, not de- it's just not developmentally appropriate. I, I think all the research uh, points to that, and it's just, it's just a better way. And I think at the end of the day, what we really want is to figure out ways to, to build relationships with young people. How do we use these uh, these moments as teachable moments? I think that is the outcome. And I think, real honestly, if, as a parent, if we're honest about ourselves, the moments that we are punishing are the moments that we we ourselves are frustrated uh, as the adults, as the persons who feel responsible for the development of of a young of a young person under our care, um, and, and and we can do better. And oftentimes, uh, we just need some, uh, you know different sets of Tools in the particular situation to address it. I think that's why it's exciting for to hear uh, folks talk about the you know the level of professional development that needs to happen um, just across the board and really looking at how do we make uh, education in high schools more developmental.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I, you know, just to add to that, I, you know, I think we we can all agree um, that it's it's not acceptable for students to disrupt learning or for um, students or teachers to not feel safe, but you know I think it comes down to effectiveness and um, suspensions and expulsions are are simply not the most effective way to produce you know safe and productive learning environments and that that is what the guidance is trying to recognize and to get at um, trying to um Help schools develop effective discipline policies that, you know, that, that do set high expectations for students' be, students' behavior, but you know, in a non-discriminatory and a developmentally appropriate way. Um, and then, like like Jonathan said, you know, making sure that teachers and administrators have tools and they have training to be able to handle, you know, problematic behaviors and help all kids succeed. I mean, we know that that is our everyone's shared mission here. Um, and and you know the guidance and the the resources that we've put together and the technical assistance that um is is going to be provided by the department of education on this are all steps in in that direction
1: you know the this uh the idea that behavior should be that appropriate behavior should be taught you know the same as we teach uh, reading and writing and math, um, and you know, I've had previous shows where we've talked about, you know, my my friend Jessica Phillips-Silver, Silver, who is a neuroscientist, is, has talked about the 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 fact that children's frontal lobes that actually control their self, you know, is where their self control is uh, developed, doesn't. isn't fully functioning until they're in their 20s, you know. And so um, the notion that behavior is something to be taught is, I think, a very important one. And, you know, Shaheena, we know that school discipline is really a small piece of the pie that is equity in education. And um, the guidance really does address school climate, and it addresses the fact that equity is much larger than just student discipline. And positive school climate really accounts for what is developmentally appropriate behaviors in children and how to make sure that they are learning how to behave appropriately. What is a positive school climate, you know, based on some of the recommendations that are in the guidance, and why was that, why is positive school climate such a focus of the guidance?
2: Um, Well, again, but positive and inclusive, you know, climates um, where, you know, all students feel welcome, where they feel able to participate, um, where they feel like expectations for them are high but also fair um, is really, it's it's critical to student success. And that's why many of the recommendations, um, you know, but portion of the guidance, which is sort of um, part of an appendix, focus on um, developing positive school climates. And so part of that is revising, like you said, revising school discipline policies, but it's also um, creating community partnerships. Um, It's also um, making sure that um, schools are looking at their,
1: um,
2: you know, being proactive and data-driven and um, getting feedback from families and students and teachers and others in the school um, about, the, about the climate um, and about prevention. Um, it's using things like, you know, evidence-based practices like tiered supports um, to make sure that, you know, kids who most need the most intensive supports receive them um, and, you know, that that positive student behavior is promoted at, at all levels. Um, it's things like making sure that you know social and emotional learning is is taught um, in an active way, like you were saying, because these are not things that are necessarily you know absorbed. They are things that need to be taught like any subject, um, and it, you know it's also making sure that regular training and support is provided to teachers and to administrators, and you know if a school chooses to have. Um, school-based law enforcement, make, you know, making sure that they receive the training on well and how to engage students and support positive behavior. Um, so there are a lot of pieces of this. And the recommendations and the guidance, as well as other pieces of the package, like the guiding principles document, um, tries to touch on all of these areas. Um, and, you know, we, we really believe that you know, obviously school safety is, is incredibly um, is a primary concern at the Justice department, but we think that positive school climates are really essential to enhancing safety.
1: Jonathan, you noted that you know this is an important moment certainly in civil rights and in the advocacy work that you've done uh, the the discipline guidance is a it's a huge moment, and um, there is still more work to do um, that you know perhaps Lobbying legislators t- for a constitutional amendment to ensure that there is a federal right to a public education is one thing that's left to be done what do you What do you imagine students and youth advocates will do with this guidance to move us forward
0: i think it I think it varies and I, I think over the the year or at least across the country, we see different um, cities and different uh, parts of um, in, in different kind of areas of development, and so I think um, you'll see what we. I think we, what we will see is we'll see a new kind of uh, crop of uh, school districts and young people kind of organizing to challenge uh, discriminatory discipline. I think the guidance opens the door for that um, for for folks to just say, Hey, this is what happened to me, and and yeah, I did feel like I was discriminated, but I'm not alone, and and maybe we can. And, and beginning to look at that, so I think that there are some the, the guidance provides some real uh, tools for uh, for young people and parents to understand when they, when their young person might have faced discrimination for groups who 've won stuff or been on the way, like uh, Denver who has one of the more progressive kind of um, um, pieces of work around kind of MOU between police officers and, and discriminatory discipline to New York, uh, where you have uh, shifts there with, uh, with the, the, new elect, the new elected mayor, um, as well as Los Angeles and their victory around kind of willful defiance, I, can, I imagine those groups will begin to enter into another conversation with their local school districts, which is around kind of what next. And so we've had this discussion, this dialogue. And it's agreed now that this is discriminatory discipline, so what kind of uh, school environment do we do we want to create? and I think and for the answer for us and our young people is that we want restorative justice. We want transformative uh, the transformation of public education to really uh, meet the needs of our uh, of all students and that prepares all students for college career and community.
1: Shahina, the guidance specifically mentions restorative justice as an alternative to Exclusionary discipline. Um, what are some? Of, what is restorative justice? And then, what are some of the other alternatives that are included in the guidance?
2: Um, so, I just want to say first off that the guidance doesn't actually, um, you know, require a particular kind of a- approach or evidence-based. Um, Practice, but it does, you know, it it does um, talk about how things like restorative justice or you know PBIS, positive behavior interventions and supports, um, can you know create important and effective alternatives to the kinds of harsh exclusionary measures that we are seeing all too often. Um, So restorative justice is is essentially um, an approach that focuses on um, on the needs of um the needs of both uh I guess victims for lack of a better word or people who um, have been on, on the receiving end of some kind of um, offense and people who commit the infractions um, and really the entire community, in the case of the school, the entire school community, um, rather than looking at it as, you know, just pun- punishment or, you know, d- taking punitive measures against someone who um, commits an infraction. Um, and this is... A, you know, again, it's it's not um, something that we are requiring in the guidance, but it is something that many school districts. It's an approach that many school districts have chosen to explore um, with a lot of success, um, and uh, it's it's something that um, is is definitely uh, something that students and um, community members themselves have brought to school districts, and you know. Um, push school districts to consider, and so, um, so that's one approach. You know, there's also kind of tiered, tiered supports as another um, kind of evidence-based practice um, that many schools are using with success. And again, that's um, you know like PBIS, that's making sure that positive behaviors are supported and also that students who need the most intensive interventions and supports do receive those. Um, and again, these are all alternatives to the kinds of harsh dis- disciplinary practices that push kids out of the classroom and, you know, too often into the criminal justice system.
1: Shahina, have you received much response from schools and school districts so far to the guidance?
2: Um, I think that, you know, what we're hearing is mostly positive. Um, I know that, you know, that that's also true at the Department of Education as well, um, and, you know, I think we're going to continue to get uh, questions about what this means and requests for assistance, um, and that's something that um, we are going to be trying to provide in, in the months and years that come. I mean, this is really the beginning. It's the first step of a long process. So.
1: Jonathan, what about you? Have you heard reaction from educators or, or schools to the guidance?
0: Uh, not, not as, not as yet. I think it's, it's still uh, kind of trickling down. Um, we're actually going to be convening in February, our national convening, bringing all our young people together from across the country. So it will be one of the, the discussions that we'll we will be having. But um, we haven't heard any, ha, have heard anything from the ground as of yet.
1: I've heard a little bit um, from from the field, and I anticipate you know we'll be hearing much more, but um, I think overall the reception has been very positive. I would say I think there has been uh, some concern about a lack of resources to provide a positive school climate, which um, I think is interesting given that there have been resources dedicated to... Police equipment and, and police in schools that that could be perhaps rededicated or repurposed in some way for creation of and, and you know fidelity to positive behavior interventions and supports as you mentioned Shahina, and and some of the restorative justice and peer mediation programs which um, you know would would be alternatives to some of the exclusionary discipline that we're seeing um, so shahina. La- a last question for you, um, I-, I think, <laughs> and that is, after this administration, how do we ensure that this remains a priority at the federal level and for schools and school districts?
2: Wow, that's, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, what I, I can tell you what I hope, um, and that is that with things like the civil rights data collection, where you know you have the Department of Education now um, collecting and analyzing and putting out their data about um, all kinds of things, but you know most important to this, this discussion, discipline and how discipline can fall disproportionately on kids of color and kids with disabilities. Um, I, I hope that the, the ball is rolling to the point where, um, you know, we, we've got momentum for this work to to continue and, and for people to build on it. Um, and I, I think this guidance is a big part of that because, again, what this guidance does is talk about it doesn't, you know, put out uh, sort of, you know, like in many ways, it's it's not something new. What it is is clarifying the school districts what their obligations, you know, have been all along under the civil rights statutes that are out there. Um, and you know, I and 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 so again, I, I hope that this this is a foundation for um, for those in the field um, for for folks like Jonathan. Um, to to build upon um, and and for people to be advocating for change in their schools and their communities, um, and you know that these resources will will help point them in the right direction, um, and when there are vi- uh, violations, um, kind of give them an idea of where to go. Um, and so another thing that I want to make sure your listeners have is information about how to file complaints with us.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, Jonathan, you know, we weren't able to have any of your student advocates on the show today since we are broadcasting during school hours, um, but will you just share for the listeners, you know, some of the, the anecdotes, so some of the stories of the students, maybe one or two of the stories of, of students who, um, have been harshly disciplined or inappropriately disciplined for, um for developmentally appropriate behavior
0: um god, where do we begin i th- I think one of my one of my um one of my my most kind of glaring was um was I had a student uh one of my organizers he uh he arrived at my office in the middle of the day and we had a general rule around that because we wanted to encourage young people to be in school. And uh he told me he got suspended and I said for what? And he told me for reading a book in the in the auditorium. And I and I really couldn't believe it. Um and it wasn't until like he showed me the paperwork that that he literally got suspended three days for reading a book in the in the auditorium during uh some kind of presentation, right? And so to me, it was – I think that was one of the – I can imagine the situation. I, I, I could see, you know, the administrator who probably suspended him, what he was thinking, what he – but I just was, just was really flabbergasted around this one, this, like, really amazing student now has, you know, three days out of school for reading a book, which is the whole point of edu- education. I think
2: the other one was um,
0: – I had a student at, a, um, at one school where the principal decided that, um, that they would, that at a certain point of the day, that they would lock the doors and then they wouldn't allow any more students into the school after this particular hour. And so you had students who were then being uh, kind of turned away from school, um, only to then be picked up by the truancy, uh, police who were heavily patrolling that area, only to then to be returned to school by the, you know, the police. And so, for me, that one was particularly just around the real connection around, um, you know, kind of school discipline policies, um, and the and the connection between kind of, uh, you know, just dis, dis, disproportionate contact with the police um, for really something that could, you know, that is normal, like. Young people run late. Heck, adults run late. We run late all the time. And so I, don't, I couldn't, couldn't really, why is this being criminalized? Why are young people being, you know, put out or shut out, cut off for education for, uh, for just showing up? When, in fact, we know a, a lot of times, the, you know, the struggle is showing up, and so we should be really receiving them with open arms, kind of however they arrive and when they arrive. Well,
1: thank you very much, Shaheen, I wondered. Just I know I said last question, but I, I lied. I'm, I apologize. Um, <laughs> so there there is. Um, I want to just underscore the significance of the collaboration between the agencies here, between the Department of Justice and the Department of Education. I think that's really important to highlight. Um, and you mentioned that there are other parts to the guidance to the, the guidance package or the discipline guidance package than just the Dear Colleague letter that is the, the source of the, um, the clarification around the law and the legal obligations for um, preventing and eliminating discri- racial discrimination and student discipline. What are some of the other, you mentioned the guiding principles, what are the guiding principles and then what are some of the other pieces of that overall package?
2: Sure. Um, so there are actually three guiding principles. Um, the first uh, relates to creating positive climates. Um, the second is to um, basically creating discipline, um, discipline policies that have, you know, clear and appropriate expectations um, and consequences for student behaviors. Um, and the third is about fairness, equity, and what I mentioned before, continuous improvement, basically making sure that schools are you know, collecting and looking at their own data um, about what they're doing on discipline, um, you know, that looking at the effectiveness of their policies, making sure that policies are not having um, disparate effects based on race, uh, making sure their policies are doing what they were designed to do, um, and basically continually um, improving on them. Um, so those are those are the guiding principles, um, but they also identify action steps and also sets of research and resources for each guiding principle that can help. Um, so in addition to that, there is um, and again these are resources that the Department of Education put together, um, there's a directory of federal school climate and discipline resources um, and that uh, you know that I have found in my own practice that many school districts don't know where to find these. Um, you know, aren't aware that there are the kinds of technical assistance resources that there are, um, and so this is a, basically a directory of what's available and how to access it um, at you know either for free or at minimal cost. Um, And then there is also a a compendium of state-level statutes and regulations um, that relate to school discipline, school-based arrests. Um, A lot of this is sort of governed by state law and it's it's something that I think can be helpful to to advocates and to other stakeholders in the community to, to, to be aware of what legislation is out there in their particular jurisdiction. Um, so those are, those are the main pieces. There's also an overview of um, the supportive school discipline initiative, which is a, a joint collaboration of DOJ and the Department of Education um, that uh, was launched um, several years ago in order to be able to, um, to begin to address the issues of the school-to-prison pipeline, and this collaborative discipline guidance actually grew out of the work of, of SSDI. So those are the other pieces of the package.
1: And where can folks go if they want to check out the the package?
2: Um, The entire package can be found at the Department of Education's website, which is www.ed.gov slash school hyphen discipline. Um, And you can also get to it through the uh, DOJ's webpage, which is www.usdoj.gov. And uh, if people have questions or comments about the package, they can send email to schooldiscipline, all one word, no spaces, at ed.gov.
1: Thank you both so very much. Shaheen Simons is deputy chief of the Educational Opportunity Section of the Civil Rights Division at the Department of Justice, and Jonathan Stiff is the executive director of the Alliance for Educational Justice, a youth advocacy organization here in Washington D.C. And you, our audience, are now officially certified know-it-alls about the student discipline guidance. Thank you so much for joining us today. Remember to follow Know It All, the ABCs of Education, on Blog Talk Radio. Follow me at Allison R. Brown on Twitter. Find ABC on Facebook and read my blog at allisonbrownconsulting.com. Have a wonderful week.